Give it up for the man of the hour, Greg Proops. The owl is abroad, the bat and the toad, and so is the catamountain. The ant and the mole sit both in a hole, and the frog peeps out of the fountain. This is Jeremy Irons. The dogs, they do bay, and the timbrels play. The spindle is now a-turning, the moon it is red, and the stars are fled, but all the sky is a burning. The ditch is made and out our nails the spade with pictures full of wax and wool. Their livers I stick with needles quick. There lacks but the blood to make up the flood. Your brother was an asshole. Yes, you're right. <laughs> you got that right. He was an asshole. Merrily, merrily make him fall. A worm in his mouth and a thorn in his tail. Fire above and fire below, with a whip in your hand to make him go. Good evening and welcome to the Greg Proops Film Club. Tonight is the Halloween edition. We'll be showing Rennie Claire's 1942 madcap horror comedy classic, I Married a Witch, with Veronica Lake, Frederick March, and the immortal Cecil Kellaway. Uh, you've arrived on a rather propitious night. Thank you. Thank you for your sparse, patronizing laughter once again. Once again, the Greg Proops Film Club convenes, and we can join hands and hearts and minds and hope for cinematic excellence here in the flattened baseball cap tennis shoe neighborhood of Los Angeles, formerly the Hebraica neighborhood, formerly the land of bad produce stands and stores full of Judaica. Now those have been aced out, and you have to be a groovy dude who's 31 and skating wearing something from the Jerry Ferrara turtle collection <laughs> as you perambulate these nocturnal voids and these badass mean streets, stopping for a pastrami and a schwitz at the kibitz room <laughs> to keep it real. It's the Cine family where Brett Berg is allowed to have a job that pays him money during the daytime in Los Angeles, and that's really the inequity and terror and horror of Hollywood, isn't it? It's not so much that Hollywood exists, it's the people who run it, isn't it? If you want a horror movie, let's have a horror movie about that. Cocaine lords who dwell in the hallways seeking the young and helpless. Those from Tennessee and other places where they've never seen electricity before thrust into the spotlight. <laughs> roundly drugged and then sodomized brutally and then splashed across the screen as superheroes time and time again, decade after decade, generation after generation. And is there no ending to this? No, the cycle goes on and on. In a room today, there is a man named Josh sorting mail who one day will kill you. <laughs> Let the circle be unbroken. And once again, we meet here 
And what of this year's festivities? Well, last year we showed a movie by Franju called Eyes Without a Face, which is thank you. I made it and I produced it as well. I also wrote everything about it that was in Cahiers de Cinema, contrary to what the byline says. Uh, it's a marvelous picture in several ways. What do you mean marvelous? Well, let's say it's rare. It's an elegant horror film. And uh, aren't you going to talk about this year's film? I'm leading somewhere. The Constitution doesn't start with, hey, we're all free. There's a preamble. <laughs> in any case, uh... We, were, we showed this picture, and uh, golly, uh, Franju had made a documentary about vivisection, what we would now call animal rights, but in those days they called vivisection. They still do in higher circles where people smoke through clenched teeth and gaze at each other through tinted shades while oriental lamps flicker in the night, and there's nodding, glowing uh, you know, uh, uh, glances exchanged, and uh, Duesenbergs pull up with a, a chauffeur of indeterminate and possibly seedy origin. You know what I'm talking about. Those kind of nights where too much laudanum is drunk and all of a sudden you've told the Empress's secret and you're being hung by your thumbs in a basement somewhere while a Prussian guard rams something purple inside you. <laughs> Any old night in West Hollywood. <sighs> and uh, like so, we showed this and Franju... Uh, uh, has an eye for the uh, technical, right? So the father's a, a prostic surgeon. There's a scene where he removes someone's face. Now, this crowd and this generation of uh, a movie-going people, well, not, when I say this, I don't mean to dismiss you uh, as these people. You are, of course, the Illuminati. You've come out on a Monday night at the beginning of October to watch a Halloween movie while a comedian, well, formerly a comedian up until t before tonight, a comedian... Uh, wears funny glow horns and uh, talks about a movie from 1942. Um, and you people uh, and the people listening within the sound of my voice understand the rare significance and bond that we are sharing. Everyone else is on the outside with their faces pressed up against the glass, their snotty nose of blight on the prink and perfect world of our perfection that we've concocted out of our imagination and our will to fucking have fun. Stop it, and don't fall, cat. <laughs> oh. Out of the ring of magic comes the elixir of comedy. And I invoke the black gods to, con to join me here as we convocate. Once again, Besu, Besu, Jesse Lasky, we, we come upon ye... We invoke thee that funny may imbue my body and that funny may spill from my mouth soon and in the ensuing next moments so that the crowd knows that the show wasn't just hastily thrown together and that they sense an underlying pattern and unbelievable writing that requires an almost crash amount of lawsuiting against my own creativeness as my many personalities take hold, one in the art department, the other clearly not. And uh, there's a rather clinical uh, scene in Eyes Without a Face of a, 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 someone having their face removed. And like I said, this generation of people seen so, what is it, Sawa? And uh, Sawa 2 and Sawa 3 and all that. And they wear uh, human skin on a billboard while I'm trying to eat at Pink's. And uh, Pink's is a hot dog stand for the people listening all over the world. Believe me, there's people listening in Dusseldorf tonight going, Was is Pink's? 
Let me allay your fears, Dusseldorfians. It's but a, it's but a place where the worst is slung. And that's the best you can say about it. And <laughs> you see what I've done? I avoided the pond and I snoodled around and there was no. I'll have the Hugh Hauser. That's amazing. It's two hot dogs and they're inside one man. He's eating it, I mean. I've never been to Calabasas, but I've seen it on MTV Cribs. I'm only trying to think of the scariest things I can. This is the Halloween show. Imagine a place where people walk into the bedroom and everyone, to a person, goes, this is where the magic happens. Imagine walking into a room that has a dedicated stripper pole. Not an accidental joke drunk and put in one. A dedicated stripper pole. Came with the plans of the house, like Albert Speer planned fucking Munich. A poster of Scarface. I have no idea why Scarface rang the bell. Generation after generation. Paul Muni rang a bell. There were fucking kids in fucking Little Italy watching Paul Muni going, fucking, I gotta act like that and shit. In the original Scarface is an actor named Boris Karloff. He plays a gangster in that movie and he gets waxed. But later, of course, he would develop the uh, uh, familiar Boris Karloff uh, delivery. Oh, he had it then, obviously. He actually didn't start with Bella Lugosi's delivery and then was jogged in an accident into his own delivery. Uh, I believe he was in full possession of his own personality from the very outset of his, his foray into the theater. <laughs> Perhaps I muddled the issue somewhat when I introduced the topic uh, backwards. My point is always this. Boris Karloff is Boris Karloff because he'll be like, all the who's down in Whoville love Christmas a lot. And then Jeremy Irons does Boris Karloff, but he's not quite Boris Karloff because Jeremy Irons would go, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville. <laughs> no, 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 you don't, Grinch. Uh, and this movie, as opposed to Franju's Eyes Without a Face, the clinical showing of the uh, face being removed was one of the quietest movements, uh, moments I've ever... Are you climbing over the furniture? You heedless jack and ape? What is this? What are we... This is crazy dog. This turned into... A, who made um, a, a, a House of Wax and... Um, who, uh, who's the producer? I'm going to scare the pants off America. William Castle. This turned into a William Castle movie all of a sudden. Because there was a girl floating over the audience ever so briefly. If it was a William Castle movie, you would have actually floated from the front to the back of the audience very slowly and disappointingly. As disappointing as some of your material, Greg, nothing could be that disappointing. I wouldn't say that. Oh, you wouldn't, would you? I haven't washed. Let's operate. Veronica Lake dripped out of a jar of upturned honey. Not much came out. She was only four foot 11. Alan Ladd, who she starred up against, if you will, in several pictures, the Blue Dalliant, the Scum for Hire. Alan Ladd 
was quite short and usually was an apple box away from freedom with every lady on the lot. <laughs> Veronica Lake was teamed with him to great success. You'll know Veronica Lake from a thousand different things. I'm not underestimating this crowd tonight. I know all y'all know who Veronica Lake is, but remember there's a child listening in a blanket fort in Terre Haute, Indiana, whose parents have fed him nothing but Pringles and misinformation for an entire lifetime. <laughs> Horrible trips to the Dairy Queen where he was humiliated by not being able to choose quickly enough. <laughs> well, this is life in America. Being chastened and chastised for being outside the norm, and outside the norm in, in Terre Haute, Indiana means like you like different colors and shit. That child needs you tonight, so back me up. <laughs> this is why you know Veronica Lake, Starscombs. Uh, she's Jessica Rabbit. But Jessica Rabbit's big and buxom and has red hair. Her hair. It's the peekaboo hair. Ronnie Lake invented the peekaboo hair. During the war, uh, World War II, the one we unsuccessfully fought against Germany and Japan. Um, yeah. Who, who's calling the shots now, I guess, is the question, really. You don't see uh, a lot of uh, Japanese predator drones flying over Canada at any point. And the crowd goes quiet. Is this a cinema show? <laughs> There's diatribe in, in parts. More like alkali puddles that we have to avoid as we guide our bike through the afterworld once the apocalypse happened. <laughs> this, this shit's so hackneyed I got Don Johnson on my dick. She pooled, and like amber, she solidified a tiny, perfect nugget made of joy with hair that flew over one eye so that you could only guess at what the other eye might be pondering for your immediate future were you so lucky to be considered in Her Majesty's fucking plans. <laughs> Veronica Lake's career is a bravado career full of action, intrigue, romance, and adventure. Oh, there's drink and madness. But that only makes it more delicious, that the fact that uh, Curtis Hansen in, uh, what is it, L.A. Confidential with Kim Basinger, uh, she portrays a, a woman who uh, is basically playing Veronica Lake, and that's the whole gig. And I think that's the immortality uh, that touches all of us and that makes the cinema the place of joy and resonance that it is at the same time, of course, because it's Halloween, that it is one of spooky foreboding and uh, horrible realization uh, that you've stumbled into what you thought was a comedy show and you were hoping they were going to show a comedy movie <laughs> and that a pretentious weight fell from the stage <laughs> in the form of verbiage that made you pinned underneath it like a witch being fucking held down with stones for a ducking uh, at a 16th century ceremony, which brings up a very good point. Uh, as I always do, eventually. <laughs> Sometimes during the telethon, I forget that we have listeners everywhere. <laughs> I noticed uneasy laughter when I said telethon. I'm not kidding. This is a 24-hour affair tonight. This movie <laughs> is only 77 minutes long. It's, it's very brief indeed, and, uh, and for that, I love it. Uh, I worship it. Um, I, I wish... Um, uh, uh, we, wa we watched a picture here with the, the uh, sainted Doug Benson. It, it was uh, part of the uh, interruption, and it was called um, The Lone Ranger. And uh, Guy Verbinski, is that his name? Gore. 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 
Gore, gore. If only fucking Ghoul Verbinski, who makes these four and a half hour fucking Saturday afternoon popcorn movies, evidently he never saw Swiss Family Robinson! Or he wouldn't have made Pirates of the Caribbean seven and a half hours long. It's not a fucking Fassbender film unless the pirates blow each other at one point, okay? You have no business going that long. There's two kinds of pretension. Awesome pretension like Bergman and Kurosawa and then fucking other awesome pretension like Tarkovsky and then unbelievable pretension like fucking Fassbender or Pasolini and then fuck you. This better be entertaining and it better end soon. Because I have shit to do in my life. There's fucking pigs on my ass that I'm going to fucking outrun down La Brea. Oh, I already mentioned I was going to Pink's. This time when I go to Pink's, I'm going to get a cream soda. That's how I roll. Yeah. Murder was the case that they gave me. Veronica Lake adjudicated once and for all and with an unbelievable finality that there will be no other witches. You've seen the show Bewitched and whatnot. And people will say this show is based on Bewitched only in the stretch of the imagination that the show uh, Buffy the Vampire Player Slayer play, wouldn't it have been better if it had been Buffy the Vampire Player and I'm getting chills thinking about casting I'll be sure in something. What if it had been New Jack and it had been Buffy the Vampire Player and she fucking bumped into bars and shit and went like, I'll have a cuvassier and grape soda. That's what this is all about. And then people would go like, I can't believe you showed up here, Chuchi. You know, and then like they don't have phones. Yeah, movies. Uh, there's nothing scarier than Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> One, they're duplicitous. Why, Greg? They tell nothing but sweet little lies. <laughs> and two, they're omniscient. How so? They don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Because it will soon be here. <laughs> Everything is better than before. Yes, yes, yesterday's gone. <laughs> yesterday's gone. I wonder what it would be like if Sean Connery found an ancient book of runes, blew the dust off the cover, and much like in the movie Zadar, Zart, Zad, Zandrog, <laughs> I've combined Zontar, The Thing from Venus, and Zardoz by John Borman. I've combined two great movies. Zontar, The Thing from Venus might have the best line in science fiction history. What is it, Greg? I'm getting to it. <laughs> An American in the 50s with spectacles has been monitoring... Uh, what appears to be alien dialogue going over his shortwave radio. And he comes to the conclusion that the monster that's been broadcasting from outer space to Earth 
is named Zontar. And he discloses this to his suburban friends. John Agar is the character. And he says, uh, what do you mean? What's his name? Well, there is no human translation, but roughly translated from the Venusian, it would be Zontar. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Roughly translated from the Venusian, it would be Zontar. Clearly. So I think when I introduce a concept like Zardoz meets Zontar, I think a lot of bitches in this room are going to mount the fuck up <laughs> and ride hell-bent for leather through the ebony night into the blackened after beyond where the endless repercussions of the dinging of the tolling of the black pitch bell of doom never cease their horrible tintinabulation as they wrap around your eardrum and force you into an insane earworm. And so, Sean Connery and Fleetwood Mac. Rhiannon rings like a bell through the night. Wouldn't you love to love her? <laughs> Takes through the sky like a, like a bird in flight. And uh, who will be her lover? <laughs> All your life, you've never seen a woman taken by the wind. Would you stay if she promised you heaven? The name's Bond. (laughs) I give you, I married a witch. (laughs) Fantastic. Wow. Uh, Veronica Lake is all up in the place. How funny is Susan Hayward? It's a thankless role. We all know the role. Uh, the last time, and he goes, uh, she says, uh, what do I look like? And he goes, who cares? The, the second time, she says, he says, smile, and she goes. And it's the only time you'll laugh at I love you truly eight times in a row. That dead horse gets in this fucking movie. Uh, the difference, I think, between George Stevens and uh, Preston Sturges, uh, who was originally supposed to do this picture and whatnot, Rennie Claire's light, right? There's no moment where you're bumming at any point. It is light as can be. Uh, you may remember Cecil Callaway if you've seen a picture called um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with... Uh, right. He plays the hip priest in it. Sid... Uh, Sidney Poitier is going to marry Spencer Tracy's daughter. It's not important who the women are. And <laughs> it's one of those great movies where everyone's basically uh, Scottish-Irish. And uh, a black person enters the world, and that's the end of it. Jesus Christ, what the fuck was America about? Sherzies, uh, for real? Um, in any case, uh, he, Cecil Kellaway is in that movie, and he's quite marvelous. And... Uh, uh, anyway, we'll talk about it for a second if you want. Robbo, uh, if anyone want, has any comments or any uh, um, thing to add to this uh, dialogue, otherwise we'll fuck off into this good night. One or two maybe, and then we'll... Women never want to talk. It's always men. <laughs> hey, Lewis. Hi, Greg. How you doing? Good, brother. How are you? Um, my favorite Cecil Kellaway story is that he was the original... Originally to be cast in the 
original version of Miracle on 34th Street as Santa Claus. And he turned it down. It, it went to his cousin, Edmund Gwynn. And he told his son, the reason he turned it down is, Americans don't care for whimsy. Ah! <laughs> uh, Edmund Gwynn and Cecil Kellaway, and he, they have another cousin, too, whose name escapes Another me. actor, yeah. Right, and that. they're all, you know, v- vaguely British. Well, Cecil's from South Africa, I think. Edmund is what? Uh, Austro- English. English, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they twinkle harder than anyone in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. These are the kind of actors who could tell you the worst thing in the world, and it would still be cute because they're twinkling on you so hard. Yeah. But he, you weren't he, supposed to drink the water. It's poison. <laughs> yeah. he, but he if had, you haven't drank that much, maybe you'll live tomorrow. <laughs> Kelly had quite a CV. I mean, Wuthering, oh my God. Wuthering Heights, uh, House of the Seven Gables. Um, oh, yeah. No. Just, he, he worked with everyone. He's just core. amazing career. Yeah, so. no, he's extraordinary. Uh, uh, and that's why I love him in this picture. It, it makes it so super good. I, you know, I don't, I don't hate Frederick March. I love Frederick March. Um, I love his uh, Dr. Jekyll. And I love uh, Best Years of Our Lives. I think Frederick McGurk is a great actor. I don't worship him in this. It was supposed to be Joel McRae, who's a lot sexier, but he wouldn't do it and blah, blah, blah. But I kept thinking, I don't know, who's Spencer Tracy? Somebody. Um, They keep saying he's a young man, and he's supposed to be like this 35-year-old guy. Thank you. How fucking old is Frederick March? God rest him. He's like a 50-year-old dude, right? And she's like 26 or whatever. And you're like, this is kind of icky. And he's not that good looking. He is funny. He is fucking funny. There are so many funny lines in this fucking movie. Uh, uh, the, the, the father says to Susan Hayward, uh, you, there's no need to be unpleasant here. There's plenty of time for that after the marriage. Now, I mean, like, and that line just fucking shoots by. That line shoots by. They beat the shit out of this script. Uh, they really did. It's almost as funny as Hangover 3 in a lot of ways when you think of the... No, seriously, when you think of the subtlety. No. This is not a subtle uh, madcap. Anybody else? Otherwise, we'll, we'll blow. I've had fun. One more. All right. Hey, Daddy. Well, another testament to, to Kellaway is the fact that... It's really Cecil Kellaway night here at the old <laughs> Greg Proust film club. Well, no one saw that fucking coming, did they? <laughs> well, I, look, everybody's going to be talking about Veronica Lake afterwards because you can't stop talking about her. So Kellaway needs to get a little time of his own. I agree. There's nothing you can do about Veronica Lake except submit. <laughs> but the menace behind him as well, I think that's the real reason why he didn't get uh, the Santa Claus yeah. part is because I think a lot of people here will remember the Twilight Zone episode he did, Elegy, where he oh. was the caretaker of uh, the planet you. of uh, frozen people. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's true, though. There, there's an archness to him that's almost like a Cyril Cusack archness where he's, there's a staunch kind of he's capable of doing bad. And uh, Edmund Gwen doesn't have that. And, you know, even Monty Woolley's like all bluster. There's, a, there's all those different character actors with that fact. Robert Coote's got a, a, the, the ability to do that, but I don't think he's straight up evil or whatever, you know. Oh, golly. That's so magic, isn't it? That fucking quality. And how many character actors from the 30s and 40s are able to uh, uh, rock that shit all night long? Uh, it, you'd be very hard pressed now to find characters that have to twinkle much anymore. Myla O'Shea, who passed away a few years ago, absolutely could do that to you in movies. I saw him do My Fair Lady in San Francisco, and um, I'm trying to think of it. Da, what was it? Myla O'Shea could like fucking walk into it. Th- the thing about actors like that is, watch your fucking handbag because you turn around, <laughs> yeah, and the next thing you know, all your shit is stolen. Okay, no one's watching you anymore. 
Um, is it Dame Peggy Ashcroft in um, uh, Passage to India, whatever, the David Lean movie? Judy Davis is in a scene with her, and Judy Davis goes, so I've got the scene, and I have all this dialogue, and I get out of the thing. We get out of the carriage, and it's just getting out of a carriage with bonnets on. And Dame Peggy Ashcroft gets out of the carriage, and she starts counting her change. And Judy Davis is like, fuck you, that's not in the script. How did you fucking think of counting your change and shit? That's the kind of magic these people pull out of their ass. It's genius. Saeed Joffrey and the man who would be king that we showed a couple months ago, uh, yeah, this is Corporal Billy Fish wishing you many good lucks. And you're like, yeah, because now we're, we're drifting away from Sean Connery and Michael Caine who have been dominating us with their enormous cocks. And uh, you've stolen it all, you magic little pixie. I would uh, say Cole Meany could twinkle, but nobody lets him. No one does let Cole Meany twinkle, and he's marvelous. And he's got that Scottish-Irish thing going so fucking hard. He can be gruff, but the thing about him being gruff, like in Con Air or whatever, he's still lovable. There's a little place in your heart where there's a fucking sachet with a chocolate wrapped or whatever, you know. <laughs> you fucking wrapped a handkerchief around a chocolate, and you're still thinking about it. Oh, I'm the only one. No, no, my heart's a rusty soap dish. You go, no, 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 no. Inside your phone is magic. Fuck you. That, that turned around super ugly and super fast. I have no idea what we're showing next month, but this is what I'm thinking about. Well, this is what Jennifer's thinking about. When I say me, I mean my wife. Um, by the way, my wife's name's Jennifer. Uh, yeah, and I'm enchanted, okay? So think about it. That's why it's a favorite in our family. Because she keeps saying Jennifer every two seconds. And she's like, mm-hmm. Uh, is uh, coffee or Foxy Brown? Uh, one of the Pam Greer genre, one of the black exploitation oeuvre, because they're fun and they last 70 minutes and a lot of people die that are assholes. The thing about watching a black exploitation movie is everyone's an evil white guy named Tony or Vic. And... It's a lot like driving down Crescent Heights behind a bunch of fucking dick faces in white Tahoes who fuck you over. I got honked at three times today, and I wanted to fucking bazooka everyone around me. And I don't need it. It's early in the morning. Let me go do what I have to do. I'm just trying to get coffee and shit. Fuck you. I don't dig it here. Uh, and that's why uh, the black exploitation movies, I think, are really a, a sublimation for the rest of us because we get to shoot fucking ugly white dudes who are fucking running my dick down at the fucking... Okay, there's no lines in the road. They're tarring the road today. That doesn't mean you get to go around me on the right. <laughs> Suck Jerry Brown DMV manual is what I suggest you do. But why does the governor have a DMV manual? The governor, for your information, is in charge of all the traffic laws. I made that up and there's no basis for it. This has been the Greg Proops Film Club. Thank you very much for coming out. We'll be back next month, possibly with Pam Greer. Every page you turn this out to page. And it's going to go to the very much.